Hello and welcome to the studio. I'm Peter Stjanovic and this is How to Achieve Full Stack Observability. Thank you all for joining me today. Um, I'm going to come to you first, David, if I may. Let's just start really simply. You know, what is full stack observability from your perspective and why is this an important discussion to have for tech leaders? Well, in terms of um, in terms of definition, full stack um, uh, observability, we're really looking at, at technology dashboards and looking at what have we actually got in our enterprise at a technology level. So, um, why why is it important to do that? Well, in terms of managing the IT and managing the services we have, you can't manage what you don't know. And from a security perspective, again, you can't manage the risks if you don't know what the risks are. So. Getting that visibility into your full stack is absolutely key. Um, and it's probably increasingly, it's certainly increasingly important than it, uh, over time because in the past we perhaps didn't have quite so much in the cloud, now we do. And so the potential for impacts, for getting it wrong, it can go really wrong. And so this is um, absolutely key to be able to understand what you have so you can react quickly if you need to and as you need to. Excellent. So that, that basically, it's how transparent is your organization in terms of what they're doing, why they're doing it, how it's being achieved. Exactly. <laughs> okay, nice. Excellent. Thank you, David. Andre, next, coming to you next. Cancer Research UK, do you have the current capabilities to map out everything you're doing, or do you still think there's a level of observability? So it's something we're, we're, we're working on. It's certainly um, an important topic. Um, so I would say, first of all, uh, the priority for us is to understand the, uh, how our services are performing from an end-user perspective. And then when something goes wrong, we want to know why it has gone wrong and try to fix it. And that's where I think the, the full stack observability will, will, will be important because it will help us to, to get to, to, to the problem and resolve it. In terms of uh, engineering strategy, tech strategy, we started with a very eclectic environment with lots of different technologies. Uh, for historic reasons and, and since three years ago when we established the, the engineering strategy we've been working towards um, uh, sort of standardizing across a, a single tech stack that we, we use to build new things that we build custom and, and using off-the-shelf sort of SaaS services. So I guess the, the observability now that we've, we've got a more standard stack that we've decided to, to work with that's when the uh, observability strategy comes into play. We're developing that and, and we're adding that to the engineering strategy. So that is part of the product development uh, lifecycle. So you've basically got a roadmap to that level of observability. Yes, and we're working on, on um, with three product teams to, to implement as a proof of concept a, a new platform um, and for them to, to figure out I say product teams because that's, that's how we, we've set ourselves up. We've got uh, all the delivery work in our tech department is done by cross-functional product teams with a product manager, engineers, etc. Uh, all the skills in there. And we offer to them these platforms like AWS to do their development in and also the, um, this observability tool that we're, we're, we're trialing is going to be offered to these product teams to, to adopt and use. And then it's up to them to create their dashboards and, and um, whatever is in, uh, to measure what's important to them. Uh, we'll set some guidelines, but then it's, it's up to the product managers and product teams to, to figure out what, what they want to measure, actually. And last, just on that really quickly, Andre, do you have an um, internal success metric on terms of the percentage of the stack or stacks that you wish to observe, or is it, is it more difficult to judge than that? I think the, the, the sort of 
uh, metrics or, or guidelines for all metrics that we think the teams should adopt will be more outcome-based in terms of uh, you know, service availability mm. or uh, performance of the, the service, how quickly uh, you know, things like um, um, yeah, web experience uh, performance rather than are we actually measuring this thing or that thing. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Paul, you've, um, you've worked at British Airways before, John Lewis, Johnson Matthey, many stacks involved in different regions um, and to different levels of challenges. Yeah. Do you recognise that observability has an endpoint, as in you can't see everything? Full stack observability is a really important, necessary objective. For, you know any modern enterprise so you know as as we've said you know you're going to have something in AWS you're going to have something in Azure uh, you're probably running your HR on the workday cloud um, you've probably got some uh, containers over there and then you've got um, some on-prem stuff going on there and you're calling some services elsewhere and you as <coughs> the CIO are expected to uh, maintain the operational integrity and efficiency of that, um, not to mention the security. So the ability to see across all of that and pull it in is a really, really important objective. And my understanding of what full service, uh, you know, uh, full stack observability is, is it's more than just having a dashboard on your AWS or a dashboard on your on-prem stuff. And um, then your guys, uh, you know, in your SOC or wherever, op center, 24 by 7, looking at them. It's the ability to ingest all of that and then apply learnings and intelligence to how they interact with each other and to spot the um, unusual or the unacceptable or, you know, the things going on, uh, which is a concept that's been around for some time in, in security. So I, I, th I think it's a really worthwhile objective. Uh, I, I think it's going, you know, it's hard to achieve, um, you know, because of the different uh, interactions and the ability to actually see what's going on. So I think you can see inside your networks, but seeing inside applications is going to be hard. So I absolutely recognize it. I think it's something that in this new world that we all live in, You've got to work towards, but uh, I think it's quite hard to lay your hands on. Yeah, so it sounds like it should be full stack intelligence rather than just yeah. observability. It's, it's the it, action. It's adding real value on it, you know, rather than having, uh, you know, you mentioned British Airways. We had a fabulous control room in the data center with all those screens. And it was the smartness of the controllers who were uh, sort of understanding what all of those things meant. Now, you still need those, but... If you can automate and put intelligence in that, um, then you can react fast. Next. <laughs> With our um, ability then to think about observability and action that, what are the main priorities then for the tech leader to um, discuss what's important for the team to look at, to measure, to action? Uh, I think the most important thing, and it's not on part of those observability, but I think it's the worst nightmare of any CIO or CTO or chief data officer is when you buy something on the cloud with your own credit card and then you expense <laughs> it back, which immediately takes all the planning, the process, the security, the compliance, the 
dashboards that you make, the nice dashboard that you, you build to show <laughs> what you have and kind of, and usually that goes into production eventually. No one knows from the central light infrastructure and you go through the whole night. I think that everyone has uh, an experience of that here around the table, judging from the laughter. So come back to the question on the, how do you take that forward after that is, what you're trying to communicate is the need to have a centralized reporting and a centralized intelligence that you are able to understand what's happening where, so you can manage the risk. It's not about removing the risk, it's about managing the risk and making sure that we are aligned on the strategy as a business that we are trying to follow. In, to follow. And working now on a consultancy, we work both on the same exact thing internally, on making our clouds being standardized, everyone's using the same solution, while you also advise the customers to go through the same journey uh, and with customers with a lot of te technical debt or a lot of different software and programs that are working is it's really important to just build the story of the need to be consistent and bring everyone on board. So it's more about change management, if I'm being honest, rather than the nice dashboard of the, of the visualization. Mm. And I'll, I'll put this question to, to anyone who wants to jump in, really. Is there a specific, maybe, or a series of environments that benefits um, observability in this context? You yes. know, so I think, uh, you know, just picking up your point, um, you know, you, you're running a website um, you know, sort of online, um, you know, you, you do need, well, there are constant uh, sort of changes sort of going in and then also more substantive um, software uh, sort of changes going in on a sort of two-weekly basis and you've got overlapping release cycles going through that, six weeks, six weeks, six weeks, you know, to hit the two-week uh, go live. So having something that can monitor how your DevOps is working, um, you've got a, a sort of customer interface that is probably, is, well, not probably, is certainly calling services from all over the place, as well as your core sort of cloud services. The ability to understand that and to be able to sort of go live and immediately see um, what the impacts are or, you know, go quiet live and sort of test it, um, with that kind of observability, seeing the whole picture is really, really advantageous if you can get it. And presumably that's even more important given hybrid working or the, the propensity for remote workers. The idea that if we're not all in the right place, or in the same place, sorry, forward and slip, or in the same place, <laughs> um, we lose the ability to make those collaborative decisions. Is that something that, Andre, you've seen at Cancer Research perhaps, or has that not actually impacted at all? Hybrid working hasn't hasn't really changed much, but I, I, I wanted to to comment on, on the, the point you've just made, actually, because I think that sort of application, that's where the value actually is on mm. on, uh, uh, on observability for, for these complex applications that you, you build yourself and perhaps less on the, the sort of off-the-shelf off SaaS applications that um, uh, that you buy that you can't actually achieve full-stack monitoring because it's, it's sort of part of the vendor's offering, really, and it's their work to, to, to monitor their own platforms. In terms of hybrid working, I think uh, the, having the same dashboard can actually help people to collaborate because they, they have to agree ahead of time, like, what is important for that team? What are they measuring? So as long as they're all measuring the same things, they understand, they build that understanding of what's important, and then when something goes wrong and they're not all in the same place, they uh, at least know that they're 
what, what they were tracking is, is the, the right thing and they know what they need to fix. So it does help. Yeah, I, I, I kind of see this, the hybrid piece as a little bit different to the, to the overall piece around the stack because, of course, um, the stack is typically supplied by a whole supply chain. There are other suppliers. And so whether you're working at home or not, or whether it's hybrid, it's a matter of what the other organizations are also doing. What you really need here, um, and again, from a security perspective, because that's really my, uh, my, my forte or my focus, um, is around sort of you know, getting that sort of 24 by 7 view, um, which some organizations may or may not have. They didn't have it in the past, but now it's an, all, it's a, it's an always on um, presence. It has, has been like that for some, you know, some time now. So having that 24 by 7. Um, but the point was made earlier, you know, this is more about, it's not just about observability. It's about the ability to respond. And in security, that means that the, you know, your detect, your identification and your detect piece is covered by the observability. Then there's questions of what you do, do with it and how do you respond. And if you have an incident, how do you recover? And that's where the human piece comes in. Because people are going to have to figure out how the organisation is going to respond if it's a significant uh, event. Um, and, and that is going to engage potentially um, executive level in the most serious cases and the board potentially as well. If, um, as you say, the, this observability also includes the security element as well as the actionability on the data that you have and, and just the insights on almost what you're doing and how you're doing it, who then in the exec team should lead on it? Is it, is it a CISO prerogative for that security perspective if, this, if the stack observability is mainly focused on that security piece or is it a combined lead? Um, with either the CTO or the CIO or, or, or someone else? Is, is there a, a central person who should lead on this observability uh, direction? So in, in, in our case, we've got, um, as I was saying, we've, we've, we've got these product teams where we deliver all the work in our tech de department, and there is a portfolio of products that is, is called the technology portfolio, and that, that's where all the platforms that every single other product team use are, are managed, so they're customers, as it were, are internal. So it's, it's the other engineers uh, and that develop solutions. And in our case, it made sense to, to put it there because it's one of these common tools platforms that are in the engineering standards and, and are supposed to be rolled out across the board. I think everyone has a role there, even the security. So we have the CISO, and the CISO is there and has a role, but the, the CISO role is as important as the role of an analyst who extracts the data into an Excel spreadsheet and runs it on his local machine. Uh, it's the same with the observability. I think that it, it shouldn't be, we shouldn't be trying to find who is responsible or whose head is in line, but we are all together in one journey and we all have our, to play our, our part on, the, on this journey. And everyone on the executive team and, and from the graduate or from the apprentice up to the executive team have exactly the same responsibility to be, to, to play their part on this jigsaw because otherwise one person cannot control uh, 40,000 or 50,000 or 100,000 employees of being able to follow the standards and the rules. Yeah. Different, different organizations you know, approach this in very different ways. Um, I mean, at the most generic level, you'd have to say it's a bit like an orchestra, but you need to know what instrument you play and you stick to playing your instrument. And then the organization needs to have the capability to learn and feedback to see if that orchestration and that uh, 
particular organ, you know, way of way of organising the resources is, is effective or not, mm. um, and it needs to be forward thinking. This is, has to be really led from the board and, and the executive downwards. And David, you mentioned the supply chain around full stack availability. Do you want to go into more detail about what you mean by who and the, who the stakeholders are across the whole chain? Well, in, in terms of the clouds, you know, you've got your sort of, you mentioned, you know, the AWS and the Azure and the, the Google Cloud and so on. So, you know, those are, the, those are the main players. But within that space, you've got the software as a service sitting on top of that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's those pieces where, you know, there's a very different dynamic that's going on. And the organizations that uh, choose to outsource um, to these organizations you mentioned in HR application are responsible for ensuring the security um, and, the, and the, the effectiveness of the security controls within those particular environments, um, be it an HR application or, or be it a, you know, a, um, a, logistical, um, a logistics piece. Um, and then in terms of the, you know, the three or four really big players that sort of sit underneath this, to some extent, we have to sort of take that as read that that's going to work. And if it doesn't work, and if there is a security issue on the underlying piece, um, then it's possibly going to, it depends, but it, it could affect everybody. And then we're in a different sort of game, you know. So, so there's a focus really is on, and, and I have to say, as a CISO, um, you, your focus is on where are the risks? <laughs> what are the big things you have to worry about? And, you know, as a CISO, I don't worry too much about, you know, AWS, because I think they'll probably get it right. Don't quote me. <laughs> but you have to focus on the things that you're putting in that space and, mm. uh, and how you engineer that. And this comes back to sort of effective um, development uh, lifecycle, um, effective oversight, independent oversight, challenge um, and escalation if necessary, potentially to the most senior levels if the, um, if the, you know, if the challenge is, um, is valid and uh, isn't being addressed. Peter, you've got something new developing here, which is... Um, you know, and uh, I've seen security set up in different different ways um, in different organisations. And you're absolutely right. The key thing is everybody works effectively together, you know, wherever the reporting lines are, because that, that's it. But now you've got the ability that, in, in terms of operational terms, actually being able to see what's going on. So, you know, we all know that, you know, on online selling, um, you know that the, the speed, you know, paid <coughs> speed is absolutely essential. You know, your your drop-off rates are enormous. If uh, you know you, you you can't get to the to the pages, people will just go somewhere else to shop. So, you, as well as the security over, overview, you've now got the operational overview, and I think you know CIOs are going to have to work how those fit together because, um, you know, it, it's going to sort of affect your, you know, your weekly revenue if you're in retail. And if you can optimise that, that will go forward. So, um, you know, I, I don't think there's a sort of ideal way of doing it, but it's going to be really important that the security experts and the operational experts, you know, interact effectively. So tools that are good at one aspect of measuring your performance are typically not very good at, at, at observing the, the security uh, things and the other way around, so, yeah. So how do you make that balance then, Andre, and, and those investment decisions about what you have and how much of it and who focuses on it and, and how long for? You probably need two tools. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, that's the simple answer. But yeah, uh, I think it's, um, I mean, our answer is that the, each product team should, should be able to decide, I mean, 
first of all, it's part of their responsibility when they, they build the products, not to build just features, 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 and think about reliability and security as well, and data quality, mm -hmm. like these more like compliance um, uh, and, and risk aspects of, of product development. And uh, uh, then for them to decide what are the, the most important uh, measures that they want to, to track in terms of their user's experience, and give them the tools to be able to set, set their product up um, as they want. Do you think that the decisions about what tools one invests in can be um, made democratically? So you, you said that there's obviously a, a, no one responsible per se, but how then does that decision get made about what the strategy is involving? Um, have, I, th I think you have the expertise within the business. When I have, the way that we have to see it again, come back to the point that we're working together as we're on stadium as a football team. So you know, the security is there to enable the business to operate safely and the compliance is there to, to enable the business to operate in a compliant way. This doesn't have to be against the business trying to do their sales. So when it comes down to the tools, for example, and who decides what, you have the expertise from both sides. So on my personal experience, on most of the companies that work, both regulated and non-regulated, when we decide, for example, on the cloud that we want to commission a new analytic solution to run, for example, one of the vendors, I would not name anyone, just for the promotion side, you sit down with your security, you say this, this then, and your compliance, you say this is what I want to do, this is why I want this tool, and this is what I'm aiming to run, and that's the benefit for the business. And then you get the input from the security that we're going to sit down and say, this tool has these risks. This is how likely it's gonna, you're going to have a breach or something. Is someone willing to, to sign off this risk? And if we agree that this risk is not big or is compared to the benefits, it's smaller, that's why you make the decision. So I don't think that this is not, I think this is a democratic way to make the decision because you just keep everyone as happy as you can. There's going to be always compromise. Not a single person will get their solution. Security would not be 100% happy. Me as a business would not be 100% happy. So it's kind of finding this middle ground that everyone's happy and the business is moving forward. I don't think it's a democracy. Um, <laughs> Go on. I, I, <laughs> I would expect that from security. <laughs> no, I, I'm not sure it is. Um, but I think, it's a, I think it's a compromise. Yes. And, and, and the reason I say that is because we've got to look at, from a security perspective, you look at what are the threats and what are the risks to the organisation. And then you lay down your requirements and you know you can lay down those requirements in such a way that they're sequenced over time so you essentially have a strategic plan and then you then have to if you're security you then have to hand it over to the sort of technical experts to say go choose a product go do an rfp or whatever it might be but the the, the reason i say it's not a democracy is because there are cases where sometimes a security product might need to be common but a business doesn't necessarily feel it's going to get the benefit from the overall thing. If, for example, the business has a number of different parts. Um, so, in other words, sometimes it might be better to do the thing for a whole organisation, but different parts of the organisation might want to do their own things and have control. And, and so you get this sort of dynamic um, where, you know, what, are we all going to get behind the common piece or not? And at that point, there really has to be yeah, the voices have to be heard, but the decision sometimes has to be taken, and it isn't necessarily going to be what everybody wants to hear. What and it can be better for the overall organisation than the individual parts. I, I kind of agree with, with your statement there, but I think that's kind of 
how do you sell the business case? Because what you said there for me, it, it is a valid business case if we are a big organization with 10 different areas and my interests are different from the other nine, mm. but that makes sense. That's the business case. So you're always going to have someone who's going to be more difficult user. That's me on this panel now. But uh, I, thi I think it's how you present your business case rather than, it, it is a compromise. I agree with you, it's a compromise. Mm. Democracy is about compromise. It's not, you, you always have to compromise with democracy too, so. Yeah, I, my, my last point was going to be about selling it yeah. to whomever signs it off. And it sounds like it really depends on what is the key strategic focus of this observability. Is it for a risk profile analysis for the security team, or is it a, a little bit wider than that? Just as a closing point in the last couple of minutes, has anyone got any thoughts or advice on how to put that business case to your CFO or, or even a CEO and board? Well, this is... You know, what are you doing here? I, I mean, we, we've talked about the security bit, but this is bigger than the security yeah. bit. So, you know, to 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 the um, cancer research point, you you've got product owners um, who need this tooling in order to understand how they can optimize their products, um, and there will be business benefits around that. And it's important that that you know that's articulated as well as the security benefit. Um, I mean, I think that's where the role of the CIO comes in, in terms of joining it up, articulating why we're doing this, um, you know, which is, you know, we're in a new cloud world. Um, this will give us the power to absolutely optimize how we service our customers, how we sell more, maybe, but it will also... Um, support our security strategy, um, you know, which ha has different sorts of benefits. So I, I think that that's a classic CIO discussion with the board, which is, you know, talking about the strategy. Brilliant. I think that is all we have time for today, all. But thank you all for joining me on this roundtable on how to achieve full stack observability, and thank you for joining at the studio as well. Mm -hmm.